Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, episode 52. In this episode, we'll talk a little bit about cash flow and try to attribute it to personal financial situations. And we'll also touch a little bit about a line of credit. Now, traditionally, cash flow is something which is more of a business terminology. But if you're an income earner and are running a family, then that is all in essence your own business. You are the CFO. You are the CEO of that business. So the terminology still applies to personal financial situations. If you're new to my podcast channel, now my motto is quite simple. There are, I think, five easy steps to achieving financial independence and it's just basically reproducing these five steps um, for the long term. Step one, always pay yourself first. Try and save 20% of your after-tax income and put that money aside and invest it. Investing it is step two. Step three is always reinvest the dividends that you get from those investments and do it forever. Never receive cash dividends. Always reinvest it, particularly during your working life. Step number four, you do it for the long term. You ignore the noise in the short term. You always do it for 20, 30, or 40 plus years. And step number five is you always automate that process. Now, if you did those five steps and tried to save at least 20% of your after-tax income and apply these principles and you start very early in life, hopefully in your 20s or 30s, you're likely to end up with more wealth than you probably need. And with that, you can plan and enjoy your life and make a difference to the people around you. Remember, money is just a tool. Money doesn't bring you happiness, but you can create happiness using the money to help other people and help yourself and your family as well. Now, before we get to the main topic, um, I thought I will simplify budgeting for you as much as possible. Now, there are various budgeting techniques and strategies. Um, I have discussed about budgeting in one of my previous earlier episodes. If you're interested, go back and have a listen to it. Basically, in budgeting, there are three main techniques or strategies that you can employ. The first one is called the 50-30-20 budget, where you focus 50% of your income into needs, 30% of income into wants, and 20% of income into savings. This still incorporates a savings rate of 20%. So I'm a great believer in saving your 20% of income. And I'm also a great believer in saving 20% of after-tax income because after-tax income is reality. So the 50-30-20 budget gives you some sort of framework to work with allocating most of your income to needs and allocating some of your income to wants and allocating some of your income to savings. The second strategy is called the 80-20 budget. Now, this is basically what I talk about in principle, and that is take 20% off the top, pay yourself first, and live with the rest of the money, which is equating to about 80% of your income. 
My approach is always to deal with the after-tax income, as I've explained before. As one person recently clarified, the 20% you save after tax is not including any of your other fixed expenses, like mortgage repayments, etc. So to give you an example, to make it very, very simple, if you have a $1,000 income and you're paying you know, $100 into your mortgage, now that doesn't mean that you only save $100 more because overall now you've paid $100 into the mortgage and you've saved $100, so therefore that's 20% of your income and that is your 20% after-tax savings. No, that's not how it works. What I suggest you do is out of the $1,000 of after-tax income, you take 20% of that and put it aside and invest it, which is $200, and then you pay your mortgage on top of that, which is $100, which leaves you $700 for your life uh, life expenses. So remember, the 20% rule is entirely separate. It doesn't include your existing payments on existing assets that you're acquiring. Now, there's also the um, sort of sub-bracket of that 80-20 rule, and that is the 80-20 rule into sub-savings accounts. Now, you can open multiple accounts for specific needs. So once you've saved your 20%, um, what you do with the 80% is really up to you. Um, Now, you can open up multiple accounts into specific needs, car repairs, holidays, groceries, utilities, etc., and then identify it. This is also called the envelope system back in the day, before the internet, and physically where you take the money and allocate it to a particular envelope, and you write on the envelope, this money is for car repairs, this money is for groceries, this money is for eating out for this month. This is what they used to do before the internet. Obviously, um, you could you could do it online now with multiple accounts. Um, I know with my particular bank accounts, I don't get charged any fees. I just pay a single fee for the whole year, and I can have as many accounts as I possibly want. Now, I talk about various budgeting strategies in one of my earlier episodes, um, episode eight. You can flash back to that for a more detailed view. Now, what budgeting strategy do I use? Ultimately, personally, I use the 30-30-20-20 rule when it comes to budgeting. So what is that? I personally believe that budgeting each and every dollar um, and you know budgeting for every single expense is not particularly useful, nor do I have time to do that um, for every single dollar. I feel it's more important to have a helicopter view of your personal finances so you don't end up having a penny-wise, pound-foolish moment. So what is the 30-30-20-20 rule? It's quite simple. This is all based on after-tax income. Okay, so It's really important that you understand that all of this is based on after-tax income and not on gross income. If you read online about various budgeting strategies, they talk about gross income, and I don't talk about gross income. Number one. Why do I use the after-tax income? It's because it's reality. With gross income, there are deductions, there is taxation, and people may have variable incomes. With after-tax income, it's reality. It's what you get. It's no more, no less. Therefore, it's easier and makes more realistic sense. So, what is the 30-30-20-20 rule? 30% of your after-tax income should go towards housing. That includes mortgage and perhaps council rates, property taxes, etc. If you're consistently spending more than this on your housing expenses, it's a problem. It's a red flag, I think, and it means you may have bought too much house. 
<coughs> Beg your pardon. 30% of your after-tax income should go towards your living expenses, such as food, lights, water, taxation, uh, sorry, um, education, beg your pardon, and supplies. This is what you use to live comfortably. 20% of your after-tax income is, of course, the pay yourself money, which you've taken off the top. This is given, um, so you don't even think about it. It just happens first up and is the premise of this entire podcast channel, okay? And lastly, the last 20% is leftover money, uh, for your emergencies, at least having a three to six month emergency fund. Um, I tend to prefer at least a 12 month emergency fund, but I think three to six months is generally what all the experts recommend. And once you've achieved this goal, once you have the three to six months of emergency funds, then you can either load this extra 20% of after tax money into your pay yourself money, which brings your pay yourself money to 40%, which is quite an aggressive saving strategy. Or you can use this 20% for luxuries like holidays, restaurants, presents, Christmas presents, birthday presents, etc., etc. It's up to you. Um, now, remember, the younger you are, the more you save, the more chances you have of compounding to take effect over the long term. So, and also, the less expenses you may have. So, you might be a young, you know, person that's not married, doesn't have kids. So, your expenses are quite low. So, that would be, you'd really be trying to save, you know, at least 40%. I mean, I sort of have a very aggressive target for young people that are single to save up to 70% of their after-tax income, which is what, you know, the FIRE community does. Now, that's quite aggressive, and you may not be willing to do that. At the very least, you should be saving 20%, but ideally 40% using the 30-30-20-20 budgeting rule. Now, I find this system quite easy, quite simple relatively reproducible without too much hassle. You can pick up your income and then divide it amongst these percentages. Okay, you can do it every month. If your income is variable, makes it a bit difficult. If you've got a fixed income, then it makes it a lot easier. This, this system is mainly designed for people that have a fixed income, know exactly how much income is coming. Now, if you have a variable income, um, you know, you could do it based on what money you have every month. Um, if you don't want to do that, then if you have a minimum income that you can work on and anything on top of that is icing on the cake, it's up to you. Now, obviously today, um, this sort of budgeting can be done online. So it's relatively simple with your net bank. Um, now, I haven't gone to a bank for a very, very long time, some years, I think. So um, because I'm fortunate enough to have a business manager that does all my personal finances, um, so a flick of an email, he does it for me. But if you, uh, you know, uh, are inclined not to use an online account, then you may want to use the cash envelope system. I don't tend to use that because I don't think having cash in my wallet or in my house, having, you know, loads of money is a good idea from a safety perspective. But ultimately, though, when it comes to budgeting, there's one particular principle that you need to follow, and that is keep it simple and keep it consistent. Um, don't make it too complicated. A simple budget, rules-based approach will make it easier in the long term to implement and maintain. Sustainability and budgeting is a huge issue. It's a bit like weight loss. It's a bit like when people talk about weight loss strategies. It's all fun and games in summer when you have ample sunlight, weather is great, and you're out and about having lots of fruits and veggies are readily available, uh, particularly south of Alice Springs. But you need a system for winter. Okay, you can't start off really, really aggressively to try and lose weight in summer. How can you continue that sustainably and keep the weight off in colder months as well? There's less sunlight. It's colder. You're not going to be able to go out for a run for an hour every single day. 
So budgeting is very simple. Uh, sorry, similar. So you need to keep it simple, keep it sustainable, and keep it consistent. And as you do that, you'll get a lot more motivation. Um, you'll get better at it. You can fine-tune it and come up with your own little budgeting um, strategy. Um, and therefore, you're more likely to be successful in budgeting. Now, that's my little spiel on budgeting. Now to the main topic, what is cash flow? Is it important? And if so, why? And why is it attributable to business and personal finance? I will be using some examples to highlight some important points. For the purposes of this podcast, let's use you and your family as an example of a business, even though primarily a lot of this language is mostly utilized in the business world and primarily most listeners of this podcast channel are individuals who don't run businesses are probably working and trading income for time. Number one, cash flow is the money moving or flowing in or out of a business or a personal financial situation. Number two, the time frame of that can be weekly, fortnightly, monthly, quarterly, six-monthly, or annually. Traditionally, when you talk about cash flow, you talk about it in the context of a month. I would suggest most of my listeners are paid fortnightly or monthly. The major point here is cash flow is both ways. That is, cash is coming into a business or a personal finance situation or your family, and cash is leaving the business or your family over a particular time frame. It's both incoming and exiting as well. So let's look at the incoming side of things, and let's talk a little bit about where does cash come from? Where does the money actually come from? Now, cash comes from, A, customers or clients who buy your products or services, Suppose you run a landscaping business and your customers will be paying for your service, so that is incoming cash flow. If you've paid employment like I do, I trade income for time, then you're trading your services for an income or salary, so your cash is coming from a business which employs you. Okay, And that's why cash flow can be attributable to personal financial situations. Now, part of this incoming cash flow is also called cash flow, which is accounts receivable. What does that mean? Now, this is called accounts receivable in the business world or money that is pending to be paid to your account if you're an employee. Let's use a real example for an employee who may have an accounts receivable situation. Suppose you get paid fortnightly and your payday is tomorrow. You've done 12 to 13 days of work and for that work, your pay is coming in tomorrow. And therefore, technically, you have some accounts receivable or money which is pending to come in. Now, if you're trading income for time and you're an employee, you're not going to be invoicing your employee, but it's still the very similar concept. For businesses, this might be that you have some landscaping work for a company or for a customer, sorry, you've done some landscaping work and have invoiced them, sent them a bill, and they are yet to pay that bill, and you can count that towards your accounts receivable and therefore incoming cash flow. Okay, so you might provide a 28-day turnaround time for your invoicing for the work that you've already done. Now let's talk about the outgoings. So where does the cash actually go? So it's coming into your business, coming into your family, coming into your personal financial situation. Where does the cash actually go? In a business setting, you have fixed and variable expenses for running a business, okay? Expenses such as rent, you have office space or retail space, rent for equipment, your landscaping business might need to hire out specialist equipment for some jobs, for example. You may have a mortgage in your office space or retail space. 
taxes are a big expense for a business. And of course, labor and workforce payments, payments of utilities, etc., etc. These are all expenses which are relatively fixed. Now, you may have accounts receivable from customers that are having to pay you. Like that, you may also have accounts payable. That is, expenses owed by your business to another business. In other words, the other business sends out an invoice to your business and they have an accounts receivable, but you have an accounts payable. That is an expense that you need to take about. And that is a, a, a potential scenario where your cash is going out. Now, for someone who's employed, let's look about where your cash is going out. Your cash is going out in the form of one, living expenses, two, lights, three, water, four, utilities and other bills and internet and phone bills, etc. five, mortgage or rent, six, property taxes, council rates, seven, health insurance, and you can go on and on and on and on. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you've done a one month's worth of work and at the end of the month, you've gone... Where has my cash gone? That means that you need a cash flow statement for your personal financial situation. So basically, basically money is coming in, but money is also going out, and therefore that is cash flow. Of course, this money is not physical amounts. It's not as if it's physically coming into your hands and physically leaving. Most of today's revenues and cash is basically electronic online. You log into NetBank. And all of a sudden you have money coming in, or all of a sudden you get debit payments going out, etc., etc. Now, most net banks, if you log in, provide a cash flow statement, or they have pie charts for money in, money out, and they have beautiful graphs, and you can actually track your expenses. You can categorize your expenses. I know Commonwealth Bank does it quite well. If more money is leaving your account than what is coming in, there is a problem. Okay. In other words, you have a cash flow problem, which leads to other major problems. So more money can't be leaving your account than what is coming into your account. So if you log into your net bank, you'll actually see that quite easily. I know with CBA, it actually tells you on the front page. Therefore, it leads to this concept of positive cash flow. So what is positive cash flow? This is when more money is coming in than going out. Hopefully, this is the case for most listeners of this podcast, and ultimately, that is what I want most of my listeners to achieve. You want to have positive cash flow. Now, the opposite to that is negative cash flow. You want to avoid that as much as you possibly can. This is when more money is leaving your business or your personal finances than what is actually coming in. This is a red flag. So why is cash flow important to a business or a personal financial situation? Why make a big deal about this? Not having cash, not having money, is one of the main reasons businesses and individuals file for bankruptcy. Now, look what happened in the GFC, and look what happened to Lehman Brothers. Okay, They're a big darling of Wall Street Investment Bank, and they basically ran out of money and could not pay all of their liabilities. Not having positive cash flow means starting a business is difficult. Or in a real-world example of personal finance, if you didn't have any income, if you didn't have any cash flow coming in, you didn't have a job, and there is no social safety net in your country, then essentially you have no money coming in, which means you don't have any money to eat, live, or sleep. In many countries around the world, there is no social safety net. In Australia, we're very lucky. We have a generous social safety net called Centrelink. Uh, We do have homelessness on our streets, uh, which is far more than what we probably should, 
but we have far less than some of the other countries that don't have a social safety net. So if you're unemployed, if you have some disability, if you come across a very unfortunate circumstance in your life, in Australia, we are lucky because we have relatively high taxation. And generally speaking, we have a general, generous social safety uh, welfare network, and that provides some sort of income in cash flow. But in many other countries around the world, that's not the case. So essentially, the social safety net then provides some level of cash flow for the poor and for those who are not employed or have a disability or have tough times, etc. Okay. So for new businesses, expenses are a killer. And this is why not having positive cash flow is an absolute nightmare. So if you don't generate enough sales from products or services, your expenses will eat your cash flow statement. And you will very quickly run into a negative cash flow situation, which means running out of money very, very quickly. So is cash flow then different to profit? In a nutshell, yes. Cash flow is very different to profit. So I think it's worthwhile digressing a little bit and talking about profit. Profit is basically an accounting concept, is when a business makes all of the money pays all of the expenses and liabilities, and whatever is left over is called profit. Out of this profit, there is gross profit, which is before taxes, and there is net profit, which is after taxes. So for those of you people listening, and you want to buy an existing business, and a lot of doctors here always ask me questions about, should I buy this practice, etc., etc. Listen up, this is a really important point here. For the people listening that want to buy an existing business, any business, um, you need to learn how to analyze a cash flow statement. You look for the net profit because profits can be manipulated. You don't look at gross profit, okay? And you have to look at the cash flow statement. So for, you know, for, for businesses, um, you know, some people may want a profit share. So you need to do your due diligence, okay? So if a business makes a profit, can they actually have no cash? Absolutely. How is this even possible? How can you make a profit as a business and have a very poor cash flow situation? So remember, profit is an accounting concept. Okay. For example, your business may have plenty of accounts receivable, which is included in your cash flow statement, even though you don't physically have any cash in the bank account. So this is why profits can be good, but the business may have no cash. Hint, hint, check out the cash flow statement, have a look at the accounts receivable, have a look at the accounts payable of any business which you wish to purchase. Don't just look at the profit. Now, in a personal financial level, using the example before where you get paid tomorrow, but the wages you've accumulated for all the work done for the past fortnight or one month just prior, if you include that, you have cash pending to come in. And if you counted that, then this may be more than what your expenses may have been. So your personal financial situation is technically profitable or net cash flow positive, but because the money hasn't landed into your account, remember, because it's only coming tomorrow, your cash flow current situation today may be really, really bad. Okay, so is it possible to make or show a profit um, despite having no cash? Absolutely. Despite having a cash flow problem? Absolutely. It really depends on if you're buying a business, you need to look at the cash flow statement, understand the terminology, and make sure you look at it very, very in-depth. Otherwise, you can end up buying a business purely looking at the profit, but 
actually there's actually no cash flow. So you can't actually run the business, okay? In summary, so far we've discussed the concept of cash flow to a business, but also on a personal finance level. Why is cash flow important? How is cash flow different to profit? And why profitable businesses or individuals can have poor cash flow situations? Hence the importance to be vigilant about using profit only as a gauge as a marker of a good business. We talked about incoming cash flow for people and businesses. Where does it come from? Some of the sources. We discussed outgoing cash flow for people and businesses, the expenses, and where it can go to. We discussed profit as gross or net as an accounting concept. So when a person says my business and my personal financial situations are in positive cash flow, that is a good thing. Cash coming in more than what's going out is a good thing, right? When someone says my business or my personal financial situation is in negative cash flow, that is a bad thing. That means more cash is going out than coming in. That is a red flag. Now, how is all this relevant to personal finances? Well, it's relevant because your aim in life is, of course, to be good at what you do, have fun doing it, enjoying life and family and kids, etc., etc. But your other aim, main aim financially, is to have a net positive cash flow situation. You need to work on strategies to increase your income, increase your positive cash flow, and decrease your expenses to create an environment for a good net positive cash flow. That is why cash flow is also relevant not only to businesses, but also to personal finance. Now, before we finish up, there is another cash flow concept which is prudent to understand, and that is free cash flow. So what is free cash flow? In addition to the traditional definitions of cash flow, cash coming in from sales of products or services, there are other income types of cash flow which may be used by individuals or businesses called free cash flow. There are two main types. Type one is cash flow from investments, and type two is cash flow from financing. Let's use some examples to create a personal financial situation and highlight these two subtypes of cash flow. And I'm confident some of you listening will already be utilizing this concept and perhaps not realizing it. I actually didn't realize it until quite recently. Number one, cash from flow in uh, cash flow from investments. Now remember the motto: pay yourself first and then invest that money. Suppose you have a hundred thousand dollars invested in an index fund uh, investment, paying a dividend of four percent, which means every year your dividends alone will be four thousand dollars. That four thousand dollars, which can technically be paid to you in cash into your account, which hopefully you won't touch, you'll reinvest it is free cash flow from investments. Now, if you've had a rental property, you've got income coming in from that rental property. From your personal financial situation, that is some free cash flow coming in as a result of your investments. For a business, free cash flow from investments might be from selling off of machinery or assets. Often you'd find it in distressed companies that sell off machinery and assets uh, or other companies that don't need extra machinery or assets to generate some free cash flow. Okay? Now, Cash flow from financing, this is when businesses might sell shares or bonds uh, of your company or your business and raise some capital. And this creates some free cash flow. And using that money, uh, you can put it back into the business and grow your business. Okay, we talked a little bit about this uh, for leverage and margin loans, etc. in previous podcasts, but that is a form of cash flow from financing. So to summarize, free cash flow is basically taking into account all the incoming um, uh, income, uh, operational financial investing, and then looking at all of the outgoings where the money is, goes into your um, you know, expenses, etc. Look at all the cash flow from financing. Look at all the cash flow from investments. And basically, whatever is left over with is your free cash flow. Okay? 
free cash flow to a company or a business is extremely important. Um, if a company or a business doesn't have much free cash flow, then again, that's a bit of a red flag. Now, sometimes in your personal financial situation, you might suffer a cash flow problem, which is temporary. A good example of this is during long weekends or Easter holidays or Christmas. When payroll, for example, finishes up on leave earlier and they send your emails explaining that your next pay may be delayed by one to two days and this can create a cash flow problem, but hopefully not by much. But if there is a business with this problem, you can imagine customers and business partners can get really frustrated if their money is not received in time. Okay, Therefore, you can set up what's called a line of credit to assist with temporary cash flow problems. So we're going digressing a little bit more. We've talked about cash flow. We've talked about profits. We've talked about different forms of cash flow. Now we've talked about what happens if you're running into a bit of trouble and you're having some cash flow issues. How can you correct that in the short term? And you can use a concept called line of credit. Okay. So you can, you know, I, I don't advocate borrowing money in general, Um now, which is, you know, what a line of credit is, but it can be a worthwhile exercise or solution to save your finances or business temporarily. So what is a line of credit? Let's go into that in a little bit of detail. Traditionally, you go to a bank and you ask for a fixed term personal loan for a lowish interest rate. The loans can be secured against your existing assets like your home, your business assets, your car or other assets, or it can be unsecured. Of course, having a secured personal loan means you get better interest rates or unsecured loans have relatively high interest rates. A line of credit is similar, except the line of credit may be for $5,000, for example, and you only pay interest on whatever money you use out of that line of credit. So if you have a cash flow problem of, let's say, $1,000, you might have a line of credit for $5,000. You can just take out $1,000 from that line of credit and solve that cash flow problem for you. But of course, you need to pay interest on that $1,000, but not on the entire $5,000. Now, if you took out a personal loan, you may have to get a $5,000 loan and pay the interest on that $5,000. But, you know, why not just take a $1,000 personal loan? Well, it takes some time for the approval process, so that's a bit of a pain. And the line of credit provides extreme flexibility when compared to a personal loan. A personal loan is a fixed amount, whereas a line of credit can be for a fixed amount, but you only have to pay interest on the amount that you use out of that line of credit. That is the flexibility that it offers. And it can be quite useful for businesses to get out of very tight cash flow situations. It can also be uh, used by personal finance as well, like if, for, your, for you as individual, for your home situation. But then again, I don't advocate borrowing money to solve a financial problem. So of course, a credit card is kind of like a line of credit because it's money which is available 24-7. You get an approved credit card limit of $10,000. You can use as much as you want. You can use as little as you want, but you only pay interest on what you borrowed. But it comes with huge risks and huge interest rates if not handled properly. Remember, a credit card is unsecured loan, so the interest rates are extremely high. I've always maintained that consumer debt like credit cards if not managed properly is a red flag dangerous situation, particularly for those of little discipline. Now, a line of credit is not without its fees and risks, but this is something you need to take into account. Um, but, you know, a line of credit generally has a lower interest rate, offers greater flexibility, 
and it kind of works like a credit card, um, except it may be secured against something. So that's about it for this episode. We've covered a lot in this episode, um, probably one of my bigger episodes in recent times. So let's visit some of the core concepts we've covered. First of all, there are various budgeting strategies, okay? So you can use a particular budgeting strategy and fine-tune it for your own personal financial situation. Cash flow, what is it? It's incomings versus outgoings. We talked about positive cash flow. We talked about negative cash flow. And if you're purchasing a business or if you're looking into a financial situation, please look at the cash flow statement. That tells you a lot about a business. That tells you a lot about a person's financial situation. We talked about cash flow versus profit. These are different and a highly profitable business can have a very poor cash flow situation. So be aware. We talked about free cash flow from investments and financing. Um, And finally, we talked about the line of credit, how it can temporarily prop up your cash flow, but it comes with its own risks and benefits. And of course, you need to pay interest on the amount of money that you use out of your line of credit. So that's about it. That's episode 52. Thanks for listening and thanks for supporting. If you've learned something from this podcast channel, the biggest gratitude is to pay it forward, share it online, friends, family, get them involved. Remember, if you don't know anything about personal finances, you need to get educated. Just like if you're an engineer, you get educated about all the laws of physics and you know construction and rules and regulations and thermodynamics. If you're a doctor, you need to learn about the human body, you need to learn about the physiology, you need to learn about the anatomy. If you're a pharmacist, you need to learn about your medications, the side effects, the adverse effects, the pharmacokinetics, the pharmacodynamics. And if you are an electrician, you need to learn about electricity, you need to learn about power, ampage, watts, etc., etc. Just like that, you need to learn about your personal finances. Because, let me tell you, I've met a lot of people that are very smart, very high IQ, but do some very, very silly things with their personal finances. And I was one of them. And over the last 10 years, I've implemented some basic strategies, some basic principles in my own life. And what I've noted is that if I just keep doing it, if I just repeat it, if I just follow some basic rules and principles, such as the pay yourself rule, that over the long term, I'm going to be far more wealthier than what I would have turned out had I not done any of that. So get educated, get empowered. At the very least, what are you going to lose? You're going to have some more information in your brain doesn't matter. You may not want to implement it and that's completely fine, but knowledge is power. Now, there is no reason why finances should be complicated. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor and this channel is not personalized financial advice to your personal situation. It's all about empowering yourself with knowledge so that when you go and, you know, talk to your financial advisor or accountant, you have enough knowledge to deal with them and speak at a similar level so that you're not sort of left out of the loop. If you need personalized financial advice, please speak to your accountant or financial advisor. Like always, if you have topics you want addressed, PM me, contact me on CastBox. Facebook is probably the most easiest contactable. Um, I'm also on Whirlpool as well, and I think some of the listeners are from Whirlpool. Uh, I'm not public in Whirlpool yet, but uh, I might go public. I'm not sure. And of course, thanks for all the likes, the comments, and the feedback. Really, really appreciate it. Until next time, learn about your cash flow situation with your personal finances or even your business and see how you can create more of a positive cash flow situation in your life. And as always, this is Dev Raga Personal Finance, Episode 52. Stay safe. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 